I, uh, I have a five-year-old son. Most of you have seen him running around here. His name is Sean. And uh, because I have a five-year-old son, I understand the meaning of the word dirty. <laughs> if you have a young boy, you understand that word, don't you? I mean, he comes home from preschool, and he's been in the sandbox, and he takes his shoes off, and he pours them out, usually inside the house, and sand just comes crashing down on the floor. And he's outside and playing in the mud and the dirt, and he comes in, and he's just covered from head to toe. And even we're at the golf course, and, you know, somehow he gets dirty there. He had a donut this morning, and he had chocolate all over his face from ear to ear, chocolate. I mean, these kids get dirty. Boys get dirty. And I think, you know, I, I wasn't like that. I never got dirty, you know. And then my parents come into town, and they remind me that I played in the sandbox, too, at his age. And I took a handful of sand and dirt and ate it. So, you know, I guess I did get dirty. But I want you to think about the time in your life when you were just the, the dirtiest. You know, when, when was that? I'm not talking about, like, you know, I, I went out and ran a mile and I'm a little sweaty. Or, you know, I went out and worked in the yard a little bit, cut some, cut some hedges and, and grass. And, you know, I'm a, little, I'm a little, you know, dirty. I'm talking about, you know, just that, you know, dirty, gross, kind of dirty, D-I-R-T-Y kind of dirty. Think about that time in your life. I've had a couple times... Um, in, in my life where I can remember just being, you know, nasty. One of them is, you know, when you go to the beach with your kids and you sit down in the sand in the shallow end and you come home and, you know, you're like, man, there's just sand everywhere. It's caked onto my, you know, uh, my bathing suit. You know, come on. I was going to say bathing suit, okay? I promise you. <laughs> you all have terrible minds. Anyway, I'm just kidding. Caked on your bathing suit and you know, you're just like, this is just gross. And, and then there was a time when um, Cynthia and I had our first home, and I thought I was the master landscaper. So I went out front, and I started, you know, tearing down stuff. And, uh, you know, I had a burn pile, and, and, you know, it's raining and cold out. And I came in, I was just nasty. And what I didn't know is that what I was pulling down was poison ivy. And I also didn't know I had a cut somewhere in my hand, and it got in my bloodstream. And I had poison ivy in places I didn't think you could get it. But anyway, you get dirty when you're outside and gross. And I remember a time when we were in Maracaibo, Venezuela on a missions trip. And we were helping build a school. And I was the, I was the mudder. I had signed up to be on the mudding team. M-U-D-D-I-N-G, I guess is the way you spell that. Maybe not. But anyway, I was on the mudding team. I didn't know what I was signing up for. It was concrete. And because I didn't have mixers, so they had human mixers. And I was on the human, human mixing team, and we would mix concrete. And I was covered from head to toe, and we'd go back to the YMCA we were standing, and I'd spray my, uh, my, my pants that I would wear, and they would just kind of stand there. You know, they just kind of didn't move from that position. Dirty. And then you get a shower where you spray things off, and water just provides cleansing, doesn't it? Isn't that a great feeling? I mean, you get that water, and it just provides cleansing. Oh, the, the, the feeling of, of water when, when, you're, when you're just gross and dirty. It's one of the greatest feelings in the world. H2O, I love it. I love water. We saw a hard rain this morning. It's a beautiful picture of cleansing. It cleans the air, doesn't it? You know, water, the, the universal solvent and in our homes. Now we have even filters for water all over the place, don't we? Because we want it even more clean. Water provides so much cleansing. And we're going to talk about water and the cleansing that it provides today from God's word. You know, it's interesting. 
Several times in Scripture, God tells us what man meant for evil, God meant for what? Good. And I wonder if it could be kind of changed, and I think there are times and issues that it could be stated this way, what God meant for good, man meant for evil. And there are two specific commands that Jesus gives us. He told the church to do, he told the church to practice and do them often. And their communion or the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table. Some of you come from a background where he called it Holy Eucharist or the Eucharist. And then there's this other one that we practice as a church called baptism. And we have all kind of different backgrounds and we, we have all kind of different um, uh, understandings of baptism. Well, my goal this morning is to completely take man's view of baptism and put it aside for a moment and search God's word for what baptism is, what it means in our lives, and what it means for us specifically to follow in believers' baptism. So my goal today is for some of you who maybe are new in your faith, um, today's a day of discovery, maybe a day of commitment to commit to being baptized. For some of you, you've grown up in church and perhaps your church background had a changed, a skewed view of baptism. And so for today, for some of you, today is about recommitment or maybe a re-understanding of what baptism is all about. You know, there's even in a room this size, there, there are probably uh, dozens of different backgrounds of what you believe baptism to be. Some of you come from a religious, religious background where baptism is all about children and infants and sprinkling. Some of you come from a background of you know, may, maybe a, a really charismatic background where uh, baptism was a part of every week. Week in and week out, they had baptism. And man, it, you know, it's like you just followed the crowd into baptism. Kind of like, oh, brother, where art thou? When the three guys are out in the woods and here comes all these people. And it's like, yeah, let's join in. We don't know what we're doing, but let's join in. And maybe that's what your background is. For others, baptism was only for the devout. It was only for the super spiritual, the extreme religious among you. And so there may be some of you in here who just wonder, what is Baptist or what is baptism all about? Cynthia and I were part of a Baptist church for about 10 years, a Southern Baptist church. And some of you might think, man, you know, baptism is really just for those who are Baptists. And if you're really good, then you're a Southern Baptist. You know, it's like, man, that's even better, you know, somehow. And, uh, you know, baptism didn't start with Baptists, though. The Baptists got together and they formed a denomination, kind of a new followers of Jesus Christ, a group of followers of Jesus Christ who wanted to get back to what God's word said about baptism. And you know, 99% of what we believe at this church, Baptists believe. We're not too different from Baptists. But Baptists don't have a corner on the market for baptism. Baptism was a practice that started in Judaism about 100 years before Christ. See, about 100 years before Jesus even was on this earth, the Jewish people were practicing bringing people into water as a part of the purification process. The Bible talks about the fact that if you were a very good religious Jew, if you were a man at, a, at a, the stage of infancy, you would be circumcised. And some men who weren't circumcised as young infants 
made the decision to really follow God, and boy, they followed God because they decided to get circumcised. And, you know, if you don't know what that is, ask your doctor. I'm not going to go into it today, but it was a very painful process. And part of that, as, as um, hygiene got better as kind of the first century came around, the Jewish people would then baptize. They didn't call it that, but they would immerse people underwater after circumcision, and it was a cleansing process. And so in the first century, when Jesus and John the Baptist would take people down to the Jordan River, as we'll see here in a moment, they would baptize people. It wasn't an unusual thing. It was part of a religious process. But Jesus had a whole different kind of baptism, didn't he? He started a whole different kind of baptism because the baptism that he practiced, that he started, and that he wants the church to carry on is a baptism into a new life in Christ. It's a baptism into the new life in Christ. So I wanted you to take your notes this morning. You were given those when you walked in. And I want to define, I want to begin by defining baptism. You'll read a lot in the New Testament about this word baptism. And every time that you read it, when it's associated with Jesus or John the Baptist or one of the disciples or someone in the church baptizing someone and bringing them underwater, some of you might call it dunking, okay, that's fine too, uh, it, it's, it's a Greek word that we get from baptism, and it's baptizo, baptizo, which means, it literally means, I don't want you to capture this, it means to wash or immerse. It means to wash or immerse. That word immerse means to completely submerge underwater. So baptism is a process of submerging someone underwater, and we're going to find out why here in a few moments. But man has confused this process. Man does what man does all the time, and we take what God intended for good, and we twist it. And the result is, is that in the Christian church, there are all different beliefs about baptism. There are all different denominations that believe different things about baptism and so there's divisions and disagreements even in 2012 among different denominations within the church. There's a book called Christian Theology in Plain Language, and they cleverly sum up the disagreements in the church this way. They say this, Over the centuries, Christians have debated what baptism accomplishes, to whom it should be administered, and how much water should be used. <laughs> and I love that summation. It's very clever. But it's true. It's true, we, we disagree even over how much water should be used in baptism. And it's ridiculous because God couldn't have been, Jesus couldn't have been more clear on what we're supposed to do when we baptize. So at the beginning of today's message, I want to summarize, first of all, what baptism is not. And I want to hit three of the probably most apparent misconceptions about baptism. Let's dive right in. First of all, baptism is not required for salvation. Baptism is not, please don't misunderstand me there, baptism is not required for salvation. There are a few denominations within the Christian church, within Christendom, that believe that you have to believe in Jesus and be baptized. And I want to point out that anytime you hear the word and when it comes to the good news of Jesus Christ, there's usually something wrong. Anytime you hear that word and, believe in Jesus, 
and something else, even if it's good, that's not really the true gospel. Are you with me this morning? The Bible says over and over and over again in the New Testament that we can have faith, we can have salvation through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And we need to be crystal, crystal clear in the church about that fact. That it is Jesus who saves. It is his death and burial and resurrection on the cross and our faith in the saving power of that that gives us salvation, not baptism. Not baptism. Secondly, baptism is not magical or mystical in its experience. It's not magical or mystical in in experience. You don't go under the water and come up looking different, do you? I mean, if you've seen that, please let me know afterwards. I would love to hear about that. The supernatural power of the saving faith is found in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, not in baptism. We need to be clear about that. Uh, Baptism is not magical, and it's not a mystical experience. And finally, it does not guarantee salvation for infants or children. This is the one that I usually may step on a few toes. It does not guarantee salvation for infants and children. Some of you are like, Hang on, Todd. I'm not liking where this is going because I was dedicated. I was sprinkled. I was christened as a child, and that was meaningful to me, and that may very well be the case. Or perhaps you've christened or dedicated or sprinkled your child, and that is very meaningful to you. And I want you to hear this. I don't want to take away anything from the meaning of that. Dedication services, christenings, uh, uh, sprinkling or at least dedication and, and, and uh, commitment services or dedication services are rooted in Scripture. They're rooted in Scripture, but I want you to capture this. It is a different ceremony than believer's baptism. It's a different celebration than believer's baptism. When you dedicate a child to God or when parents give that child to be christened or dedicated to him or baptized maybe in your background, that's a dedication of that child to God. I was christened as a child. I, I was young. I don't remember it. And that's part of the, the distinction that we need to make is, is because you can't choose as a child to follow in believer's baptism. It is not an unimportant thing, but it is not baptism. Are you with me this morning? We can dedicate our children to God, and that's a dedication of that child for protection, spiritual, physical, emotional, whatever the case may be. And it's also a dedication of the parents, maybe even more so the parents, to raise that child in a godly fashion. And so we can dedicate our children to God, but it's different than baptism. Those are probably the three most misunderstood things about baptism. It is not required for salvation. It is not magical or mystical in its experience, and it does not guarantee salvation for infants or children. Now, I will say this. The fact that my parents dedicated me one day, had me christened, I believe that God's hand was on me, and that's part of the reason I became a Christian. Are you with me this morning? There's a distinction but it's not an unimportant thing. Let's take a look first and foremost at the why. Why should I be baptized? Why should I be baptized? Well, first of all, first of all, Jesus himself was baptized. Jesus was baptized. I don't know about you, but if Jesus did something, that's probably a pretty good reason for us to do it as Christ followers, right? It's probably a pretty good reason for us to do it. Take a look at Matthew 3, 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee 
to the Jordan. By the way, we're going to be in so much scripture this morning. I want to encourage you to look at the screens. You can follow along in your Bible. You can do that too, but we're going to be bouncing around in a lot of different scripture this morning. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, who is John the Baptist. Verse 14. Love this verse. This is hilarious. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? Like, wait a minute, Jesus, I'm just like the assistant here. You know, I mean, you need to baptize me. And Jesus says this in reply, verse 15, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Immediately, baptism is associated with righteousness. Isn't that cool? That water, that cleansing. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went, uh, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lightning on him, and a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. Now, that's probably not going to happen at your baptism. I'm sorry to say, okay? <laughs> Please don't have those expectations from Matthew. You might have a little lightning today if you go out there today and be baptized but that's probably not going to happen. This was God's son. And while he was all man, he was what? All God. This is his son. This is God's son. And so there was, it, was an important, it was an important ceremony when Jesus was baptized. Secondly, not only did Jesus model it, but secondly, Jesus commands the Christ follower to do this in, resp- in response to salvation. That's a big word, command, isn't it? Jesus commands the Christ follower to do this in response to salvation. Let's look at a couple different passages of Scripture that talk about this. First of all, Jesus mentions it in the Great Commission when he's telling the church what their mission is. Take a look at Matthew 28, verses 18 and 20, 18 through 20 here. Then Jesus came to them and said this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And what's that next word? baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. This is the most important instruction that Jesus gave the church. It's called the Great Commission. It's Jesus telling us that our role as a church at large is to go and make disciples. That's our church here on Hilton Head Island. That's our role. That's Hilton Head Island Community Church's role here on Hilton Head Island is to go and to make disciples. But it's interesting that Jesus mentions baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's a very important thing. It's one of the things that we are supposed to do as a church, and it's a command. Look at what happened within the first few months of the very first church getting started in Acts 2, 41. Those who accepted his, Peter's message, Peter preached this very long-winded sermon in in the uh, uh, second chapter of Acts there, uh, first and second chapter of Acts. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Let me tell you, if we go down to the beach and we have 3,000 people get baptized, I promise you we'll be in the island packet tomorrow. That would be amazing, okay? <laughs> that was amazing then. And it just grew, and, and Christ followers began to multiply from that point in time back in the first century there in that first church. But the church's role is to baptize people, whether it's three or 3,000. 
That's our role. It's our job. And then finally, as the church grew and the message spread even further, look what happened to those who heard from Philip, one of the missionaries, one of the very first missionaries. This is from Acts 18, or 8, 12, and 13. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed, and Simon was baptized. Now, we don't know much about Simon until that chapter, but Simon was a man probably from uh, Samaria, and Simon was a sorcerer. That's why you might often hear that, Simon the sorcerer. He was possessed either with an evil spirit or some kind of demonic oppression or something like that, but he actually did magic. It wasn't like a trick. He actually did stuff that was quite amazing, and people were drawn to him, kind of like someone at a circus. And he would do these tricks and he would do this magic because he was filled with an evil spirit. And even Simon the sorcerer accepted Jesus Christ as his savior. The Holy Spirit was using Philip to reach even people like Simon for Christ. And what does it say happened to him after he believed? He was what? Baptized. And then he followed Philip on the rest of the missionary journey and he helped lead others to Christ as well. So that's why we should be baptized, because Jesus did it, and Jesus commands it. It's an act of obedience. Secondly, there's a question, and look at your notes this morning, of when should I be baptized? When should I be baptized? And I want to take a look at Acts 8. This is the kind of the continuation of the story of Philip, verses 34 through 39. We find that Philip is instructed by an angel. An angel visits Philip one day and says, you need to go down to the road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he goes down that road, and on his journey, he runs into an Ethiopian eunuch that the Bible says was one of the most powerful men in all of Ethiopia. In fact, he kept the treasury for the queen. And so he meets this man, and this man is in the middle of reading some of the Old Testament prophecies. God is just so sovereign, isn't he? I mean, Philip is on this road, and here's this eunuch, and he happens to be reading the Old Testament. Take a look at what happens in Acts 34 through 39. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is this prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very, that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. What an opportunity. Verse 36. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, presumably after he was saved, Look, here is the water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? This man who was the previous day an unbeliever and the next day accepts Christ immediately says, you know what, I want to be baptized. I want to follow in believer's baptism. And they found water somewhere there out on a desert road, and they baptized this Ethiopian eunuch. And to answer the question of when I should be baptized, point number one, we should follow Christ in believer's baptism as soon as possible after we become Christ followers. We should follow Christ in believer's baptism as soon as possible after we become Christ followers. The Ethiopian eunuch did out on a desert road. I get the feeling that they found like a, this, this puddle of, you know, kind of mud and water somewhere there out on the road. But it was deep enough for him to come out of the water because that's what the Bible says happened. I think God supernaturally provided that water for that Ethiopian man to be 
baptized. We ought to do it immediately. We ought to do it immediately after we accept Christ as our Savior. But some of you haven't. That's my story too, by the way. I asked Jesus to be my Savior very clearly in a uh, second grade classroom when I was in second grade at about six years old. And it was very clear and distinct, and I remember that time. And I didn't get baptized until I was 21 years old. But you know what? I followed Jesus in believer's baptism. I had some doubts. I was kind of wondering what baptism was all about. I really uh, wasn't in the kind of church that emphasized baptism. And it kind of scared me. I was wondering what it was all about. And some of you may be wondering that too. You may be wondering, you know, it sounds like some kind of super religious thing. I'm a little scared of that. You might be like King Angus when he got baptized. He was baptized by St. Patrick in the middle of the 5th century. And Sometime during the baptism, St. Patrick leaned on a sharp-pointed staff and inadvertently stabbed the king in his foot. Well, after the baptism was over, St. Patrick looked down and he saw the blood and he realized what he had done. And he begged for the king's forgiveness, which the king gave him. And then he said, why did you suffer this pain in silence? To which the king replied, I thought it was part of the ritual. (laughs) You may not have followed in believers' baptism Because you're just not sure what it is that goes on. You're just not sure exactly what this is. And it sounds super ridiculously religious. It's really not. It's really simple. It's an indication of your life with Christ. And so there may be many of you like me who want to follow as an older adult The second point here is is if we have been Christ followers for some time and have not been baptized, we should be baptized as soon as possible. We should be baptized as soon as possible. For me, it was at 21 in college, right before I got married and started kind of our life together. Maybe for you, it's at 40-something or 50-something or even 60-something. You've been a Christ follower for years. And maybe just now, God's Holy Spirit is prompting you to follow in believers' baptism. Well, lastly, I want to consider the what of baptism. Let's answer this question together this morning. What does baptism represent in my life and to those around me? What does baptism represent in my life and to those around me? Baptism is largely a representative practice. It represents your life with Christ. It represents that you are a Christ follower. I know many of you know that I'm a huge Atlanta Falcons fan. Love the Atlanta Falcons. I follow them every Sunday. You know, I don't get to watch all the games because I'm a uh, minister and involved in church and that sort of thing. But you know what? I love the Falcons. Well, last year, and I love the NFL draft. I'm one of those guys that actually kind of like watches a little bit of the NFL draft. I think I'm one of like five in the country. But anyway, I watched the NFL draft. Well, this year, the Atlanta Falcons did nothing exciting in the draft. They just filled a couple places that they needed to. But last year, they traded a lot of money and spots in the draft in in upcoming years to get a guy from the University of Alabama by the name of Julio Jones. And Julio Jones, at some point in time that summer, signed a document with the Atlanta Falcons. And when he signed on the dotted line, he became an Atlanta Falcons He was an Atlanta Falcon. He was part of the team. He was a member of the team. But you know when we, the public, viewed him as a member of the Atlanta Falcons? It was the day he was drafted. And there he was in his gray suit and his purple shirt and his big white bow tie. And he put on an Atlanta Falcons cap and held up a shirt. And that day, we all recognized him as an Atlanta Falcon. That's baptism. 
It's a representation that you're on the team. It's saying to the world, I am a member of the family of God. It's a representation of your heart, of the decision that you made to follow Jesus Christ. It reveals an outward expression, this is in your notes, of an inward condition of your heart. It reveals an outward expression of an inward condition of your heart. If you're a Christ follower this morning, baptism essentially is you putting on the uniform of being a Christ follower. You know there's no such thing as a private baptism. (laughs) We may baptize families. We may gather around their pool or in a place where their families are for a variety of different reasons. But there's never just me and someone else getting baptized. (laughs) The whole point of baptism is telling the world that you're a Christ follower. In Scripture, you can't find one time in the New Testament where a Christ follower was baptized in private. But it's also symbolic, secondly, because it identifies you with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Take a look at Romans 6, 3 through 5. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have new life. If we've been united with him like this in his death, we most certainly will be united with him in his resurrection. And that's essentially what I do when I baptize someone, is I baptize them and I say, brother or sister in Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and I say, buried with him in his death, and as I bring you up out of the water, I say, raised to walk in newness of life. Isn't that beautiful? It's a picture of what Jesus did. It's a picture of his death and then his resurrection. And it's also a picture of our old life and our new life. And the water is the cleansing power of Jesus. It's a representation of the cleansing power of Jesus to wash our sins away. The bottom line on your notes this morning is baptism is outward expression of the inward decision that you have made to become a Christ follower, and it symbolizes your new life in Christ. It's an outward expression of the inward decision that you've made to become a Christ follower, and it symbolizes your new life in Christ. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture is 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has what? Gone. And the new has what? Come. Baptism is a picture of that verse. Baptism is a picture of that message that Paul had on behalf of God to the church in Corinth and to us today. Some of you are skeptical about baptism. I want you to check out what baptism is all about. Check this out. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall the starry crown good lord show me the way we have actually our first four baptisms for our uh, hilton head campus today so i'm very excited about what god's doing and why do you want to be baptized today alex because it says it in the bible that's right it says it in the bible it's the first step of obedience in christ so isn't that great good job alex good job and this is alex's sister lauren lauren wood and uh lauren where were you when you uh, accepted jesus christ as your savior I was eight years old in my house. Eight? 
eight years old in your house with your parents. Very good, very good. And why do you want to be baptized today, Lauren? Because it's a symbol of Christianity and God says so. Awesome. Very good. Very good, Lauren. We're excited for you guys. And we'll see you guys down at the beach. Awesome. Let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray. Hi, Dad. I love you. This is uh, kind of inspired by you. Thank you for all your good kindness and love, Dad. I love you so much. Bye-bye. <laughs> oh, fathers, let's go down. Let's go down. Come on down. Oh, fathers, let's go down. Down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that. Well, I've been a Christ follower for a long time, since I was 14. Can't wait until I'm 38, and I figure I'm dressed for the occasion. Now let's do it. <laughs> now this is, as a believer, this is what I'm called to do. Well, I'm trying to be obedient, and uh, I'm excited about it. didn't get Bill up out of there. <laughs> so what's preventing you from following in believer's baptism? What's stopping you? What is it that's stopping you from following him in that first step of obedience? Father God, I pray for those who are in here today and they've never said yes to following you. And God, yeah, we can't do it today. But God, we can do it this summer. And God, I pray for those who are Christ followers who are in here who've never followed in believer's baptism. And I pray that you would give them the courage and the conviction to say yes to following you in believer's baptism today. God, it took me a long time. It took me many years. And there are some who are in here today and maybe they don't want to be embarrassed, maybe they're fearful about it, God, I pray that you would just, your Holy Spirit would just ease those things in their life, and that they would just say yes today. If you're in here today and you're a Christ follower, with every head bowed and every eye closed, just in the quietness of this room, if you want to follow for the first time in believer's baptism, I'm just going to have you raise your hand, just simply raise your hand this morning. Amen. Amen. Any others? Several. Any others? Amen. Any others? Today, I want to follow in believer's baptism. Father, thank you for those who said yes. God, thank you for those in the last service who said yes and in this service, God. God, I pray that you would just raise up a whole 
army of people here at Hilton Head Island Community Church who have in, in every area of their lives have said yes to you. And God, here's where it starts. Convict us, challenge us, and encourage us to follow you as close as we can to the commands that you gave us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.